Welcome to the Active Investor Show. This is Chris Kumi, the business godfather. I've worked with businesses for over three decades as a business attorney, business consultant, and business owner. My mission is to help you get more out of your business, your assets, and your life. The Active Investor Show is dedicated to helping people thrive in the you're-on-your-own world we currently live in. And the Trump administration has made it absolutely clear that your relationship with the government is changing and that you're responsible for your income, you're responsible for your retirement, you're responsible for health care and others. And that's good if you have the education necessary to take advantage of that. And you know, so this week, one of the things that came out that made this eminently clear that you're on your own was the, the executive order that basically was stopping the fiduciary rule related to your retirement counts. And so basically, a fiduciary is someone who's supposed to be looking out for their client's best interests. And that's actually a fairly low bar when you think about it, because any other business you'd go to, you'd expect that they're going to look out for your best interest. Otherwise, you'd stop going, right? Because if you went to a restaurant and they stopped complying with the health code, you probably wouldn't go back. And if you bought a car and it didn't have the safety stuff, the seat belts and stuff like that, you probably wouldn't go back. And what makes this amazing with the financial institutions, the passive financial investment folks, is that they've been fighting this for years and years. And their model is based on taking advantage of their clients. And generally, if your model is based on taking advantage of your clients, you're not going to stay in business very long. However, in this case, What's happened is that the, you know, the financial industry, the passive financial investment folks, basically own the regulations, own the law, and you know, they're basically making sure that they're not accountable to their clients. And they've been incredibly effective at taking away people's imagination and making them think that putting money in account, earning single-digit returns, is the equivalent to investing. Because what most people are doing now is not investing. I mean, maybe preserving what you've got, but you're not getting a whole lot of return on your money with these passive financial investment accounts, your 401k, your mutual funds, your IRA, stuff like that. And so part of just take, take a look at reality. If you're going to invest in something, you should be getting double-digit returns. And part of being successful in this you're-on-your-own environment is expecting more from your assets, expecting more from things. And you should be getting double-digit returns or at least have the prospect of double-digit returns in your investments. And basically, the passive financial investment folks, you know, they're telling you, you know, 3 4 5% is about as good as it gets. And it's possible, you know, some people may have done, you know, h- higher than 5% last year. Many people didn't. And the reality is that's about what the passive financial model can give you. And so part of it is, you know, your investment options have been perverted to move towards passive investments. And what I know is that you need to start, if you want to get the return and build the wealth and generate income, you've got to have active involvement to make sure that you're getting the returns that, that you deserve, particularly in a low or a no-growth environment which is where we are now and what we're projecting over the next several years. 
Now, I know there's a lot of hopes for growth policies being put into effect. And, you know, the primary growth policies, one is reduction of regulation. So there's some potential there because that's starting to happen. A second is infrastructure spending. A third is tax cuts. And unfortunately, those last two require Congress to actually do something. And they require Congress to get their act together and put some thought into how is this, how is this country going to retool itself to grow. And I think the administration has some clear ideas, but I think from what Congress has shown us is that they're kind of figuring out how to, how to avoid doing what the administration wants. And, you know, basically our futures are in the hands of Congress, and they're basically showing no, no real energy or excitement about actually passing something. You know, what they've done, they've made very clear is that, you know, the tax cuts and things like that are going to happen later. They don't say when is later, but they're going to happen later, which is not now. And most people are expecting, you know, by, you know, February, March, we're going to have, you know, new tax code, at least ideas out there, working through the details and have something in place that would impact 2017. Now, the likelihood of that happening seems to be pretty low based on the lack of cooperation that Congress has been given. And so those are our primary growth drivers. All we got is this reduction in regulation, which impacts certain industries like the financial industry, but doesn't impact most businesses. You know, most small businesses are fairly lightly regulated and we're highly taxed. And so, you know, in the current environment, you know, small business ownership is the highest tax activity you can have. And so there's definitely been somewhat of a, an anti-business perspective going on. You know, the folks in office are saying that they're pro-business, but until they do something, we're still in a bad shape. And, you know, part of this is just recognizing, you know, people, you know, people are willing to pay taxes as long as they're getting something for it. At this case, you know, small business owners have been, you know, in the crosshairs of the tax man. Now, there's definitely some positive things projected. And, you know, what the Trump administration is proposing is that, you know, we're, you know, it's possible that the small business owners will get relief just like the big business owners. However, that hasn't happened. And we'll see what actually happens once Congress gets their mitts on it, um, because they've demonstrated no interest in helping small business owners. They're the ones that have put the current tax code into effect. And so, you know, I think there's, there's a reason to doubt that we're going to be in a high growth environment um, in the near term. You know, several of the policies that have been put into effect, you know, the anti-free trade, anti-immigration, the volatility and kind of the inconsistency, those are all things that work against business confidence. And we've been kind of holding on saying, oh, we'll reduce regulation, we'll get lower taxes, we'll have infrastructure spending. Well, it's looking like the positives are less likely to happen while the negatives are definitely happening. So this is where we have to really take a hard look at, you know, where are we in this you're-on-your-own world? I've lived my whole life structuring it to be on my own. And I expect that that's, you know, my relationship with businesses I'm involved with, with the skills I've developed, with, you know, how I'm going to spend my time over the next 20, 30, 40 years is all based on my accepting you're on your own. However, most people haven't. 
And most people don't have the perspective or the skills in order to take advantage of this you're-on-your-own world. And so part of this is you know, taking a look at you know, what do we really want from our businesses and what do we really want from the system of taxes and the system of the government's relationship with us as small business owners. You know, we're in an environment right now that's valuing security over freedom. And in the you're-on-your-own world, we need to switch that around. You know, we need to focus on making sure that we have the freedom so that we can invest in ourselves, pursue our opportunities without the government intervention. And so maybe things will work out and we'll get a refocus on freedom. But right now, this focus on security is making it, you know, making it so people make bad decisions related to their financial lives. And so in your business, how many streams of income do you have that are helping you build wealth going forward? And so if we take a look at your business, you know, one of the first areas of analysis I like to do are figuring out what are the sources of value you have in your business. And it's basically, you know, six sources of value. One is, you know, the effort of the owner. So it's income derived from the efforts of the owner. Second, income derived from the efforts of others. Third, income derived from assets. You know, fourth is generating income from assets, whether that's intellectual property or real estate. Some is the capital appreciation potential of your intellectual property. And then sixth is the attractiveness to others. How attractive would your business be to a financing source, someone that might provide your business a loan, someone that might buy your business. And of those six areas, how many do you have working in your business? You know, very often a business will only have one or two. And so one of the things I do with the businesses I work with is help them start identifying multiple, multiple sources of value that may apply to their business that'll allow them to start generating this extra income, this extra wealth, and basically make their business more valuable. If it's not an individual business, it may be just developing a second active investor business or a third active investor business that is also producing value from one of those six areas. And so part of it is taking a look at yourself and structuring yourself and your wealth. It may be in a single business. It may be in five or six different businesses. But start taking a look at what are the sources of value that you're currently taking advantage of in each of those businesses, and also what areas of those sources of value can you use to build up wealth for you going forward. Now, I've mentioned on earlier podcasts that we're expecting some exciting announcements for active investors in February. And the first one is that on Friday, February 24th at 10 a.m., I'm going to be hosting a workshop on active investing in Trump's new world. And it's focused on helping people make better decisions and structure their lives in what we know is happening and what we're anticipating is happening. And I think for a lot of people, one of the things they haven't recognized is the magnitude of the change that the Trump administration represents. Because they're not making incremental changes, they're making revolutionary changes to the position of the United States in the global economy, 
the relationship of the government of the United States to individuals and expanding and limiting different growth opportunities. And so what in this session, what I'm going to do is go through kind of the U.S. economic outlook, do some surveys of other people's analysis of how they think Trump is going to impact the investing landscape, and then get into the financial markets, what how they've reacted and where they're going. And more importantly, where's our best active investor opportunities going to be under the Trump administration? Because with rapid change and massive change, there's always opportunities. And so our mission is to identify how do we make the best of the current environment? How do we make the best of the current circumstances so that we can build the, the world that we want? And so if you go to the activeinvestor.us, you'll have an opportunity there to register. And through registering at the site, then you'll get access to register for the event with a special discount. So the session, it runs from 10 to 2. It's a $500 workshop. However, for people that are members of the activeinvestor.us community, you'll have a special discount that will significantly reduce that. We'll also have lunch included and some refreshments throughout the day. But the real goal is to start getting you to think differently about your money and understanding how do you make decisions to grow your wealth and generate more income as an active investor over the coming years. And so I'm pretty excited about that as an opportunity for you as an active investor. Hey, our primary mission as active investors is to make more than we currently make. And that's how we're going to ha handle you know, the responsibility we have for our current income, the responsibility we have for our future income, the responsibility we have for our health care, responsibility we have for our legacy, and other things that you know, we need our assets to be working for us. And so part of this is building that environment where you know, we can productively use our capital. And so assuming that we do get some tax changes, some of the things that they're talking about could be very attractive. And so one of the things that they've talked about is being allowed to expense any capital cost. And you know, my opinion is that this, this whole distinction of capital versus other type of income is a largely artificial construct. You know, when you spend money, when you pay your rent, when you buy food, they don't ask whether it was a capital gain or income. Basically, a dollar is a dollar. And so I think it's health, healthy that we're going to move towards an accounting system that will probably start recognizing that a dollar is a dollar as opposed to having, you know, nine or ten different types of income. Because right now, dividends are treated differently, interest is treated a certain way, capital gains, long-term, short-term. There's so many different types of income. That's where the primary complexity in the tax code comes from. So if we could just move to a simpler tax code, that'll be beneficial. Another interesting aspect of the reduction in tax rates is the discussion of getting rid of the interest deduction for businesses. And so this may be a big deal to your business. It may not be a big deal at all. But basically eliminating the interest deduction for highly indebted firms will probably cause a number of these firms to either slow their growth or, ba or basically have to go into bankruptcy um, because 
if you're paying out interest payments and you're paying out capital payments and you, that you have to pay tax on money that you don't have, that can be an incredible cash flow burden. It'll also make it less attractive for companies to be issuing debt and more attractive for them to be using their equity to generate capital. So I think there's some definitely benefits for certain companies. So one of the challenges is if you're going to invest in public companies, which I generally recommend not doing because you can do much better actively investing in your own. But if you're going to invest in publicly traded companies, you need to find some that are fundamentally sound that have a strong business model and do not have excessive amounts of debt. Unfortunately, you know, there's an investable universe of about 6,000 stocks in the U.S. Unfortunately, the subset of fundamentally sound companies without excessive debt is really pretty small. I mean, it's probably about 40 companies out of those 6,000. And so what you need to do is understand how do you find those because the other 5,960 are really way too dangerous for you to put your money in. And so rather than getting into, you know, becoming an accountant, and I know, you know, part of the government's mission has been to turn us into a nation of accountants, but, you know, part of this is extracting yourself from needing to understand their balance sheet and just start learning how to make your balance sheet better and to make your balance sheet more powerful and do it in a way that you're going to be building up the value in your business. And that's why, getting back to what I talked about earlier, first you have to recognize what are the sources of value that your active investing businesses are currently tapping into, and then recognizing the potential sources of value that you might have, and that's where you should be investing your time, energy, and effort. I mean, that's where you'll get the true benefits of being an active investor. So a good question is, how does this actually work? How does this apply to me? And back in my lawyer days, you know, I represented clients with all sorts of different types of businesses. And at one point, I actually had two clients that were in the same business. And they both worked hard. They both put in 50, 60 hours a week. They both were technically proficient. They were outstanding at what they did. And the difference was one of them took the time to document his processes, and was looking to make his business attractive to others. Whereas the second business, you know, they generated income, but they basically were, you know, weren't building any extrinsic value over and above their own efforts. And so what happened was the first company, you know, started to make money from their own efforts, started to make money from other people's efforts, started to make money from actually being attractive where someone else could buy them. And so over the course of a year or so, you know, they both worked the same amount of time. They both put in, you know, they both were dedicated. They both knew their business. One of them was able to sell their business for a significant amount of money. The other one sold his business, but really what he, what he got in exchange was just an employment contract with one of his competitors. And so he officially sold it, but he didn't really have a whole lot of value in it. He just got paid, you know, a, basically a salary going forward. So there's a huge difference in outcomes for the same amount of effort. And so you as a business owner should be looking at how do I take my own business and say, are there things I can do to be increasing my income from the effort of other people? Are there things I can be doing to increase my income from my assets? 
Are there things I can be doing to develop assets, to make assets worth more? Are there things that I can do to be you know, generating, generating um, make myself attractive to other businesses so that they might want to finance me or buy me? So there's a lot you can do if you start taking this approach and start looking at, instead of doing analysis on other companies, start doing analysis on your own company and how can you get more out of it? You know, once you start figuring out how to get more out of your business, then you want to take a look at, you know, where is this business on the innovation life cycle, right? You know, everything in life, we're following the sine curve, right? The up and down, the rhythm of life. But within individual businesses, we, the rhythm takes is a little different. And, you know, you've probably seen it in, you know, the Gartner hype cycle of an industry or something like that, where basically there's this huge push up and then things top out, pull back, and then there's kind of a long move. And then eventually that business goes out of business. Now, that could be a 20-year cycle. It could be a one-year cycle. It depends on kind of the technology and the life cycle of whatever your individual innovation is. And so part of what you need to do is figure out where are you on the life cycle? Where is your company? Is your company going to have a long run? Is this going to go on for 10 years? Or is the likelihood that in a year or two, your income stream is going to grind to a halt? So, you know, I met a friend at a, it was a business retreat last summer. And he was in a business that he's been in for, you know, decades. And he loves the business. It's selling pianos. And so he sells the old Steinway pianos and these giant things that are really tough to move. And I know my mother was a, a concert pianist, and so we used to have to move, move the piano all the time. And they're incredibly bulky, incredibly big. And the other side is people don't really play the piano much. And so in that business, instead of getting a big bulky piano and spending you know, tens of thousands of dollars on it, for about 100 bucks, you can buy an electric piano that is pretty good. And for 200 bucks, you can buy an electric piano that is just as good as the $10,000 Steinway. And so I understand the purists may not agree, but the reality is the $200 electric piano can do a lot more than the $10,000 Steinway. And so he still makes sales. He still generates income. He generates profit. The reality is that business is not a growing business. It's not, it's not, people aren't going to wake up one day and decide, hey, you know what? I need to buy a Steinway. I need to buy a big bulky thing that, so I can put in my living room and, and look like I know what I'm doing. You know, that was, it's kind of a throwback. And, you know, back in the 50s when people didn't watch television, having a piano was important because people would actually play the piano. Well, if you're a piano player, that's true. But for most people, they're just not going to spend the money on that. And so he's in a dying business. And so one of the things that we talked about was what he needed to do in the next couple of years was take his excess income and invest that in a new business, in a new industry that would allow him to be generating income going forward. And, you know, he was in his 50s and he had this business for a long time. And he, he recognized that it, it was not going to be there in 10 years. The question was, did he take the action he needed to so that he would be able to generate income in 10 years 
and remove himself from that business. And so that was my challenge to him. So I'm looking forward to what he's done next year to see how he's been able to take that excess income and start building opportunities as an active investor in another business that will provide him with healthier income going forward. So this is the type of analysis that you should be doing in your own business and saying, you know, how much longer do I have to go here? And I understand that people always oversell it. You know, back in 1999, you know, MCI was the hottest thing. And then by 2000, it was out of business. And there's, you know, all sorts of opportunities where you can see where basically a business had just run its course. It was a great cash flow business, but eventually that cash was going to stop running. You know, it happened with Dell Computer, right? They were hot, hot, hot. And then over the last few years, no one needs their stuff. And they basically turned into a commodity. And so part of this is recognizing what kind of pricing power you have in your business and, you know, appreciating that pricing power and recognizing where going forward, where you're going to be able to build the most value going forward. And recognize this can change over time. And so, you know, the three things we're going to look at when we're looking at a business opportunity as an active investor, particularly in a startup or a cash flow business, is one, identifying the innovation area, two, looking at the size of the opportunity, and three, identifying what inefficiency is being captured. And my bet is for some of you listening, you know, the business that you're in may be not in a particularly innovative area, not in an area of high growth supported by kind of the macroeconomic conditions. So you'll have the wind at your sails. And so that's something where you have to take a look and say, you know what, I may need to change my business. You know, a lot of the financial advisors, you know, they built their business on the baby boomers. And the baby boomers are retiring and this and that. But eventually, and not very far off, probably in about 10 years, you're going to run out of baby boomers that need to retire. And it doesn't mean that your business won't be productive. It doesn't mean it won't be able to stay open. But it does mean you're probably going to run into a lack of growth. And a lack of growth is really kind of death for some businesses. So if you're in a business that relies on something like the baby boomers, you need to be taking your income now and start planting the seeds so you're doing something, say, with millennial consumers or in healthcare, or in food and water or in some kind of big data. And so we want to understand what the key innovations there are. And then, you know, just like the, the folks that have the same business, is the size of the opportunity worth your capital? And is the upside of your efforts worth you putting all that, all that time in and the opportunity cost related to it? And then third, really recognizing where does the benefits of your business flow? Does it all flow to your users, your customers, or do you get to capture some of that as the owner of the business? Because there are many businesses that provide great, you know, great efficiency for their users, but because the business can't capture enough of that, because they can't, you know, because they're basically priced as a commodity, the business ends up going out of business because they provided great value, great service, but they didn't have a healthy way for them to stay alive. And so this is one of the things that in this time of great change, in this time of, you know, with the Trump revolution happening, is just really understanding there's going to be major impacts on how business is done. 
And one of the things that strikes me is that people have been, you know, people are up in arms politically, you know, where they agree or disagree with what's happening. But what I haven't seen is a whole lot of helpful analysis and a whole lot of focus on, you know, how does this actually impact me? How is this going to impact me as an active investor? How is this going to impact me in the opportunities that I'm pursuing? And so that's where, you know, this presentation on Friday, February 24th, it's in Tyson's Corner. And it's called Active Investing in Trump's New World. It starts at 10 a.m., goes to 2 p.m. Lunch will be provided. But the biggest thing you're going to get is understanding kind of the magnitude of the change that's happening and help you identify opportunity areas for you over the next five years and give you the active investor perspective to help you navigate this new world of investing. Because it's incredibly powerful, the change that's happening. And I think what's happened is that, you know, the traditional passive financial people, the advice they're giving is don't do anything different. Just stay in it for the long haul. Well, in a time of great change, if you stay in it for the long haul, you're going to go out of business. You're going to be turned into obsolescence. And so in this time of great change, you need to educate yourself so you can identify where are the macro trends that you're going to be able to take advantage of as an active investor. Where are the macro trends that you're going to be able to use your assets effectively as opposed to just accepting kind of what the, the market mediocrity will give you? Because um, there's absolutely nothing business as usual with the Trump administration. And so the casual approach that most people are taking to this, I think are going to cost people a lot of money and a lot of heartache down the line because there we know that you know there's a revolutionary change happening you know there's an assault on the government assault on international trade assault on multinational corporations the social safety net and the unipolar security order that's been in place for the last 30 years and so if you're investing in multinational corporations you need to open up your eyes if you're investing in companies that deal with international trade, you need to come and find out how is the, your active investing going to be impacted in this Trump's new world. And so go to activeinvestor.us, register there. You'll get information on how to register at a discounted rate. You know, the advertised rate is $500 for the session, but if you're an active investor member, you'll get that at a reduced rate, significantly reduced. So take advantage of this. What I'm going to do is go through the U.S. economic outlook, do a survey of different analyses of the impact of Trump on the investing landscape, and then take a look at how the financial markets have actually acted. But more importantly, take a look at the active investor opportunity areas and show you a framework where you can be able to take advantage of the rapid change take advantage of the opportunities that are presented as opposed to being a victim of the change that's coming. Because the change is here. You know, in the last several weeks, we've seen change. And it's happening. And it's a change of perspective. And it's definitely a change of position of the United States in the world. This is definitely not a time to be business as usual. Okay, this is a time where you got to figure out, how am I going to make it in this world? And so that's why I put this together, because I think the people that are serious about active investing need to have this answered. Because I'll tell you, when, when Trump was elected and leading into the inauguration, 
That was the number one question I was getting from folks. Even my wife, who doesn't really pay attention to investing, you know, she focused on her IT business. Even she was curious as to, I see this change is happening. What are things we can do to make the most of it? And so I put this together from an active investor perspective, and it's different than anything else that I've seen. You know, a few places I put out some bullet points, but this is going to be a lot more than bullet points. It's going to be looking at whole industries and real opportunities going forward. In our startup journal this week, we're going to take a look at, you know, Ally Homes kind of in the early days. And, you know, now Ally Homes is, you know, growing from the Baltimore market into the Northern Virginia, D.C. market. And they provide home renovation services. And in particular, they're focused on refinishing decks. So if you go to deckready.net, you have an idea of what Ally Homes is focused on and how they're proceeding in the market. But remember, Ally Homes started as a student project. And part when Jacob came in, so Jacob's the founder, and he had this motivation that this was an industry that was ripe for being changed, ripe for disruption. And while that's true, anyone who's gotten their home remodel knows that they need to improve the quote process. They need to improve kind of the customer experience. And that's where Ally Homes is focused now. At the time, you know, Jacob was really focused on how do I get the best price to people? And, you know, his perspective was people are being overcharged. And so what he wanted to do was be become a low cost provider. And it took us it took us, you know, a few weeks for Jacob to really understand that if you're starting your business as a commodity, things can only get worse. Because, you know, that sine curve of life, you know, will will grind down your profit margin over time. But at the beginning, you need to be capturing that inefficiency. You need to be creating real value and getting paid a premium for what you're doing, not be competing on price. Because once you start competing on price, there's only one direction to go. And so it basically took a kind of a change in mindset for Jacob to really understand that if you're providing great value, if you're providing great customer service, people are happy to pay for that. And the margin that you get, the increased margin, is necessary so that you can provide that great service, that you can do the marketing and fund the operations in a way where people are getting a great service. And so it took a little while, as in our discussions, but it was definitely a major mindset change. And I see this with a lot of startups, is that people... You know, particularly with the internet, the internet is so transactional and, you know, people charge a certain amount, whether it's 10% or whatever, and someone comes up with a new idea and they're going to charge less, but their costs are all the same. And so this gets to what I was talking about earlier about the inefficiency capture. Like if you're creating this great efficiency and not charging much for it, your company is bearing all the burden. Your, your company is bearing the costs, and the benefits are flowing to your customer. However, you're not going to be able to sustain that because eventually you're going to go out of business. And, you know, we were looking at some companies a couple of years ago, and one of them was a delivery service. And it was, this was out at the George Mason Entrepreneurship Center. And 
what they you know they were putting they were they were delivery service and they're talking about how there are other delivery services out there that charged 10% and their main selling thing was they were going to charge 5% and as you know as they talked through it they thought that was a compelling argument and they were out looking for investments and try you know they thought this was a real business and you know as we had the conversation with them is we had to we had to move them away from turning themselves into a commodity right away and first of all they picked an incredibly competitive space where there was hundreds of companies trying to compete in it and competing on price was going to be a loser's bet for them and they didn't recognize where they didn't do the cost benefit analysis that showed they were incurring all the costs and the efficiency was was flowing to the con- consumer and this is something that that, can, that that ally homes learned even after they're operational in their second year because you know one of the things that we talked about was you know the challenge was going to be on the sales side but as far as fulfilling the work that was seen as that that's something that'll you know take care of itself but the reality was you know one of their biggest challenges was the quality of the materials they were using and the quality of the crew's workmanship. And because they were standing by it, they had to redo a number of jobs. And the redos basically chewed up a lot of the profits that were available from the company. And so part of it was if he hadn't priced, if Jacob hadn't priced things sufficiently, the business probably would have gone out of business. But because he had built in enough, he was able to provide the quality result that people wanted and sustain the business. And, you know, one of the challenges for this year, you know, heading into the third year is making sure that the company is going to continue to grow. But the lessons have been learned about how important it is to do things right the first time. And, you know, one of my mentors, Joel, used to tell me, you know, you always got to follow the five P's, you know, prior preparation prevents poor performance. And by following those five P's, one of the keys was you don't want to redo anything because every time you touch something, there's a cost associated with it. Anytime someone on your team touches something, there's a cost associated with it. And one of the things you want to do is keep your costs lower so you've got to do things right the first time. And a lot of that comes from that prior preparation and really proper preparation, you know, focused on the right things. And so... This is part of, you know, the Ally Homes has learned that they need to take the time to do this the right way and make sure that the quality is there throughout the process the first time so they don't have to come back and redo things. So in the home renovation business, that is one of the number one thing they need to be aware of. How do they make sure they don't have to incur the labor costs as well as the product costs in redoing their work? And so this is for you in your business. You know, how many times are you redoing something? How many times are you, you know, letting your customers get the efficiency and not capturing enough of the efficiency yourself? You know, there's a real danger for folks in, you know, there's happy to have the work. And so people come in and try to negotiate down with them. If you don't have price integrity, what's going to happen is you're going to end up in a, you know, in a, a downward swirl for the health of your business. And so as part of, you know, this week's lesson on your your startup journal is make sure you have price integrity 
and make sure that you're pricing your product in a way that's sufficient to be able to handle any kind of inefficiency that comes in, the need to redo it, the need to provide the quality result that you're looking for, and as opposed to pricing things as if everything went perfectly. Because that's really where people get into problems is that, you know, they price it as if everything will be perfect. One company I looked at was providing custom-made jeans. And they they had it down to the penny as to, you know, how much every, you know, whatever, rivet and zipper and whatever cost. But there was so little provision for what if it didn't go perfect that you could see they were just looking at it all wrong. And so this is for you. You know, you want to be looking at the other side of how do you make sure there's enough so that things don't have to be perfect, that you don't need perfect execution to have a great business. And, you know, as, as the environment changes, you know, you need to be protecting yourself. But more importantly, you need to be looking for opportunities that are going to be supported going forward. And so in this time of great change, you know, join the Active Investor community at activeinvestor.us. You can find me, Chris Kumi, on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. You know, blogs, videos, podcasts. You know, the goal here is to help people make their own way in this you're-on-your-own world. Because the one clear message is you are on your own. You need to have the perspective and the education and the community to help you succeed in that. So join me, Chris Kumi, at the activeinvestor.us site. Join me on LinkedIn. And we'll go forward into this new world and position ourselves for success going forward. Thanks for joining us today.